It amazes me how much trouble I can get into just waking up in the morning. Our flesh constantly is drawing us to things. The world is lurking always. And if that's not enough, the devil has a trap at every turn. It's been said that free cheese is always available in the mousetrap. And boy, I tell you, he's out to catch us any way he can. And those traps, those habits are terrible. Those terrible traps, they destroy families, they destroy marriages, they humiliate our reputations, and sadly, they strip us of ministry. I felt like the Lord would have us to uh, talk about uh, fighting the devil, conquering habits. There are a few of these in this series that I think are going to be just so uh, life-changing for you. Others of you, maybe you've heard some of these things, and maybe most of them, and maybe I'm hoping that somewhere along the line, just one sentence, one thing will just, you'll retain it, and it'll be, uh, help you in your Christian life in a new and special way. Many people try to deal with temptation. Many people try to overcome addictions and habits. And there's many ways, but we're talking about God's way. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Most of us have heard the part of that verse, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee, you tell your children. Resist the devil and he will flee, some energetic pastor will remind us. But in that verse, that is only half of the equation. If you resist the devil, you are not going to get victory. You have to also submit yourselves to God. And we're going to talk about those two vital steps this morning. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder that we can resist the devil only as we submit to God. Father, help us, I pray. Give us your grace and your wisdom clear minds to receive this word with our spirit, not just our mind. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to apply it to our everyday life, in our family, wherever we go, in Christ's name, amen. Now, the book of James is just an amazing book. It is blue denim Christianity. Boy, I'm telling you what, the book of James is getting it done. In chapter 4, Brother James, remind us how to fight the devil. And if you are of the opinion that you don't have to worry about the devil much, you are absolutely about ready to fall. In chapter 4, he says, you are going to fight the devil. You are in for the fight of your life. Now, there's a lot of wonderful things about getting born again. But there's a downside to getting saved. And that is that Every enemy of God now becomes my enemy. And I will tell you that the devil is the absolute enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants us to win over him. And in this chapter, he gives us a twofold strategy. First of all, we must submit to God. Let's read verse 7 together, would you, out loud? We have the King James Version for you to read with us together. Ready? Begin. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Let's say that first part again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, what does that mean? I think it first of all means that we are to submit ourselves to God as a subject to their prince in duty. Now, in this uh, sermon today, I'm going to use a little more uh, study in the original language than we normally do. I'm certainly, uh, I took a little Greek, and, but I'm thankful that we have so many wonderful uh, Bible study reference tools today that help us. I think today's sermon will uh, help uh, by looking at some of the original language. The word submit in the Greek language is hupotasso. If you were to look at the spelling of it, you would see H-Y-P-A or H-Y-P-O. And you might say, oh, that looks uh, like an interesting word, hypa. Well, we, you go to the doctor and that doctor will take a shot out and that needle is called a hypodermic needle. That's because the word hypa or hypo means under. In that case, derma means skin. Hupotasso is the Greek word submit. Tasso is a word that means to arrange in military order. And so there's actually two ways this word is used. We'll use both of those. But the first one is as a military term, and that is to arrange the troops in military fashion under the command of a leader. Hupotasso, submit yourselves or put yourselves under your military leader. As believers, if we're going to be victorious, we must willingly and wholeheartedly submit. Those who go into the military service are inducted with something called boot camp. And boot camp is going to be hard no matter what you do. But it's going to be seriously hard if you don't submit. Their whole goal is to beat you down is to just break you down and to get you, take this little young man who was used to playing video games and turn him into a soldier. And they're so mean. Well, trust me, the enemy that they'll be fighting is not going to be nice. They know that they've they got to they whip this young man or young lady into shape, and they will fight for the defense of our country and for our families. It is insane for a believer not to submit himself to the leader. He is a five-star general who has never lost a campaign. He has had thousands of victories under his belt. And for us to not submit to God, it is absolutely just ridiculous. God said, submit to God. Christians that are disobedient or unsubmissive to their commander-in-chief will never see victory over their habits. Now notice who we are to submit to. Submit yourselves to who? God. Submit yourselves to God. Who is God? Well, some people say, well, God is whoever he is to you. You know, if your God is this, then just make sure he's your higher power. Well, I remind you that God is a higher power, but he is, there is only one God. And that God has revealed himself to us through Scripture. He's not the uh, God that people say, well, you know, Allah is the same as God. Oh, no, Allah is not the same as God. Well, you know, it's no. The only God that we are to submit to 
is the God who has revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation. The clear implication then is this. If I submit myself to uh, sex, then immorality is my God. If I submit myself to greed, then money is my God. If I submit myself to whatever other than God, then that is my God. What should we submit to our uh, commander-in-chief? First of all, we ought to submit our minds to the truth of God. Number one, we ought to submit our minds to the truth of God. Folks, this is a welfare. This is an absolute warfare, and we must always take God's side. We must place ourselves underneath His Word. We must always look at Him and say, God, I trust you. We trust God's ways. If we entertain thoughts of our own for very long, we're going to lose. You all know the power of the mind as it relates to perceived truth. Sometimes we'll think about our appearance and we think about it in comparison to perceived truth. That's why God says you have to submit your minds to God. Because if you don't submit your minds to God, you're going to go down some path you shouldn't. I look at a standard of beauty and well, here's what it is. I look at a magazine, and you ladies might see Kim Kardashian or some beautiful gal, and you might think, well, that's the standard of beauty, but that's not, and she's a beautiful lady, I'm sure, but the fact is that is not the standard of beauty. God has a standard of beauty far different than that, and if we're not careful, we're going to feel like we missed out, or we're unloved, or somehow we're not as good a quality. Sometimes we think about our life as compared to somebody else on Facebook. You know, back when I was growing up, we used to hear people give testimonies, and many of them were such blessings. But every once in a while, you hear somebody give a testimony, almost sounded like a bragamony. And, uh, you know, I've uh, thought about some of these Facebook posts people do, and sometimes they seem like a real blessing just to hear and see what the kids are doing. Sometimes it almost seems like they're, it's a bragamony, you know? It's like, what are you trying to say? And you know, I think we need to be careful. But I will say this, many people find themselves very depressed looking at somebody else's Facebook page. And well, look what they get to do. And look how happy their lives are. And you know, those are perceived truths. God said, submit your mind to the Lord, not to these perceived truths. Sometimes we think about an unknown situation. We begin to worry and stress comes. God said, submit your mind to the Lord. We want something, and we want it bad. You know, us men, we, we want a truck. And uh, I saw a big, black, giant truck the other day, and, I, and I, I just stopped and just looked at it. I thought, man, I've never seen a truck so beautiful all my life. It was brand new. It was a big Ford. I didn't know what was so beautiful about it, but I just sat there admiring that thing. As I was walking away over to my 1958 Volkswagen Bug, I was uh, thinking to myself, why do I like that truck? I mean, what is it? That's just a something about a big old truck and us guys. You may have heard about the couple who was fussing over the purchase of a new car for many weeks. He wanted a new truck and she wanted a very fast sports car. Well, the discussion got pretty warm and finally the wife said, look, I want something that goes from zero to 180 in four seconds or less. That's it. That's all there is to it. My birthday is coming up and you better surprise me. Or it's going to get mighty lonely for you around here. So her big day came. The wife went to the garage. No new car. And she was not happy. She went back into the house looking for her husband. He was nowhere to be found. Frustrated, upset, she went to the bathroom to get dressed. And there, sitting 
on the floor, wrapped with a big ribbon, was her birthday present. Something that went from zero to 180 in four seconds or less. A brand new scale. (laughs) Us men want a truck. Those ladies want a sports car. The fact is, uh, we need to give our mind to the Lord. Submit our mind to the truths of God. Submit our emotions to the love of God. Every time we lay down the things we love and surrender them to our loving God, we are just helping ourselves to happiness. I say that again. Every time I surrender the thing I love to God, I'm just helping myself to happiness. One of the English renderings for the word sin is transgression. It's an interesting background, that word transgression. It means to go outside the boundaries. I'm an avid golfer, and I've found myself outside the boundaries a lot. They call it going OB. And uh, I've noticed the place where I play, they never mow. I don't know why, but um, they call that the rough. The place where you're supposed to play is called the fairway. Those uh, terminologies are very descriptive. When you stay in the boundaries you're supposed to, life is a fairway. It's a lot easier. You get outside the boundaries you're supposed to go, it's rough. And that's what happens when we sin against God. When we give in to temptation, we literally make our life rough. That's what Solomon reminded his son in Proverbs 15, 19. He said, son, if you're slothful, the way of the slothful could be really any sin there. The way of a disobedient man is a hedge of thorns. My experience over raising a large family has been this, that one a beautiful son or a beautiful daughter, they love you and respect you, and then at some point they kind of perhaps start resisting, and life gets thorny then for them. It gets hard and stressful. And I remember looking at many of them in the eye and just saying, if, if you just keep going this way, it's just never going to get easy. I mean, it's going to be a rough road, maybe a rough month or a year. But if you just keep having this kind of mindset, your, your way is going to be filled with thorns. I mean, every place you turn, ouch, ooh, ow, ow. And that's the way of a person who doesn't submit their emotions to the Lord. It just is a thorny thorny life. God says, give your emotions to the Lord. He loves you. Not only our mind and our emotions, but our will. Submit our will to the will of God. Submit yourselves to Him. That terminology, hupotasso, set yourselves under Him. An illustration would be in the New Testament and other Old Testament scriptures, when a young scholar would come to learn at the Uh, from a teacher, they would sit at the feet of the teacher. They would say, I sit at your feet. You teach me. The Apostle Paul had some dear friends. The Apostle Paul was driven. He was going to go to Jerusalem. And boy, I've heard every kind of a good preacher and good men, but boy, they have taken Paul to task, you know, for just being so insistent from going to Jerusalem. I'm not one of them. I've always supported the Apostle Paul, and um, he was uh, warned of what would happen. 
And they did everything. His friends, uh, everybody tried to get him persuaded to not go to Jerusalem. Finally, when they realized they couldn't do it, look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 21. Put it on the PowerPoint here, but it says, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We ceased. And what did they say? They said, the will of the Lord be done. That right there is one of the greatest answers to the Christian life. I ceased, and I said, the will of the Lord be done. That's submission. That's just saying, you know what? My mind says, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I, they loved him so much. They didn't want him to get beat up. They didn't want him to get thrown in jail, and he did. They didn't want him to die, and eventually he did from, because he went to Jerusalem. Pretty much everything they thought, at least to some degree, came to pass. But they ceased. They said, the will of the Lord be done. I take my hands off. I have to surrender. And you may feel at times that if you're giving up a dream, or if you're giving up your reputation, or if you're giving up your future, you're settling. No. When I give up my future and I give up my reputation to God, I'm just simply saying, the will of the Lord be done. When I was 23, I have a totally different mindset than now at 63. At this age now, my mind is totally different. I have given up dreams. You'd say that means you don't care about them anymore. Oh, I definitely care. It's just that they're given to the Lord. Well, when you're early on, you know, you're going to make these things happen. I'm just saying, folks, the way to get God's backing on your dream is to surrender them to the Lord. It's not settling. It is saying like these folks did, we cease, the will of the Lord be done. I just trust God to take care of this situation. We must not only submit ourselves as subjects to their prince in duty, but number two, we should submit ourselves to him as one friend to another in love. The word submit there, hupotasso, is a voluntary attitude of giving in. When it's used militarily, it's meaning to arrange yourself in order under somebody. But when it's used in a common sense, it means helping care a burden. It means cooperating. One friend to another, cooperating. It means to be willing to get, to bear the load, to get under a load with somebody. It means to just cooperate. You and your wife are going along and you're picking at each other and you're both trying to steer the steering wheel, somebody has got to just say, hands off. You steer. Because if you don't, it's going to be a crash. I'm going to instead help bear the burden. I'm going to get alongside you and I'm going to help carry the load. And that's what a friend does. A friend voluntarily gets underneath the load. God called Abraham his friend. One of the most unique scriptures when God said, this is my friend. Abraham is my friend. I can talk to him. Why was Abraham God's friend? Because he submitted to God. He helped carry the burden of taking care of Israel, of what God had for the future. When you realize this, that all sin is just the opposite of what this verse says. Sin is being resistant to God and being submissive to Satan. God said, if you want to have victory, you can't keep resisting against me. 
You've got to submit to me, but resist Satan. There is a breaking of the will that takes part in most of our lives. If you haven't had your will broken yet, you're probably having a thorny life. You're playing out in the OB. Your life is full of the rough. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I have a large family. Those of you who know me know that's the case. But with all of those nine children that we had from day one, there was always a moment where their will had to be broken. Now, I didn't say break their spirit. I said break their will. There's a big difference. Breaking their spirit by saying mean words, breaking their spirit by yelling at them, breaking their spirit by saying terrible things. No. Breaking their will quietly, lovingly, looking them in the eye, and saying, I don't lose. <laughs> I don't. I always win. So you can either sit here until you're 18 years old in your high chair, or, um, but I'm not gonna, you're not going to get out of your high chair until you eat your peas. And typically, it was a high chair moment, and typically, it was a food moment. Each one of the children had their will broken, I think, pretty much in a high chair. For Luke, it was sweet potatoes. And to this day, Pastor Luke looks at me and accuses me of making him hate sweet potatoes. I said, you're going to eat your sweet potatoes. I'm all, you know. He just looked at me, little eyes, you know. I, you know, I, you know I, they'd gag it, you know. If they'd spit it out on the thing, I'd just scoop it back up, put it in there. and uh, <laughs> I can't. I'm going to die. <laughs> okay, that's fine. If you die, I just, I got another kid, so. Um, got nine of them, you know. But you're going to eat your sweet potatoes. I mean, I don't, you, I'll put it on your epitaph or whatever the case is, but you will eat your sweet potatoes. And for others, it was green beans and you name it. But I'm, all of us have to have our will broken. Folks, we can't keep just fighting against God and his word. Well, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I remember one guy, he he, uh, he told me one day, well, I just, don't, I just don't think I think the Bible teaches that about, you know, debt in the Bible. And I said, okay, well, whatever. I love you, you know. I'll be jiggered if that's the same guy that didn't come back about a year later in debt, out of money, asking the church to give him money. I thought, I Unbelievable. You have a problem with the Bible, and then when the things get tough, then all of a sudden, you know, you need a bailing out. I say, you know what? Folks, we can't keep resisting against God. Well, I just, I just don't know if I believe that. <laughs> the Bible teaches some of these things, folks. We just say, you know what? That's what the Bible teaches. It's time to get our will broken. Most of us grew up all of our lives in a spiritual high chair, just saying, I don't know if I believe that. I just know if I believe that about tithing. I just know if I believe that about submitting to husbands. And I just don't know if I believe that about always obeying your parents. I, I just, we're in our little high chair and we're just refusing to eat our green beans. God said, well, okay, if you don't submit to God, you can't, you can't resist the devil. Because the first thing you have to do is submit to God. Then and then only can you resist the devil. You can't resist the devil if you don't submit to God. Just forget it. 
Folks, if you're not a Bible-loving, Bible-obedient Christian, then you will never have victory over the devil. Because the first step is submitting as a sovereign and as a friend, getting underneath the burden and get behind, getting a, getting a love burden and saying, you know what, for the cause, for what we're doing, I willingly submit. I get underneath this thing. A family can't be successful without love. A ministry can't be successful if we don't find a place to submit. Submit to God. Number two, resist the devil. Now we, have, we must resist the devil. Everybody talks about victory over temptation, and boy, we're going we're gonna to resist the devil. And all these folks talking about resisting the devil, I think, first of all, learn to submit to God. If you're submissive to God, then you will know how to resist the devil. Let's say this verse together, please. James 4, 7. Ready? Out loud. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Resist. Now, the word resist is a Greek word. Two comes from two words, antihistamai. That almost sounds like antihistamine. Anti means against, and istami means to stand. And so, when the two words are put together in compound, it means to stand in opposition. It's the attitude of one who is fiercely opposed determined to do everything in their power to resist it. If we're going to fight the devil, we must, we must determinedly fight against it. We must put our heels down. We must get ready and get set because he's going to come, and we're determined to fight. We are bracing ourselves. We're digging in. Now, some people are so kooky when they think about how they're going to resist the devil. They'll do the sign of a cross on them, you know, like somehow that's a protection some people, you know, you'll go and visit a cathedral and they'll take some of that holy water. And other folks, you know, they want some oil on them. And other folks will light a candle. We were, got the privilege of visiting in Paris and went to the cathedral of Notre Dame there. And one of the big, th people stood in line, I mean, like an hour to be able to light a candle at the cathedral. I just walked right by that line and so I'm not going to light a candle. I don't even know why I'm lighting a candle. I'll get a blowtorch and blow all those things down, but I'm not about to light a candle for some unknown saint or whatever the case is. Folks, I'm telling you, a crucifix in your hand, the sign of a cross, oil, it makes no difference in fighting the devil. It is worthless. It is worse than worthless. There's a false hope. God wants us to say, look, I must resist. You say, how do I resist God? Do I say some words? I rebuke you, devil. Well, that's probably not a bad thing to do. But it is not a cross. It's not a statue you keep. It's not some icon you put on your car dash. It's not something you wear around your neck. It's not something you do with your body. Resisting is simply this. It is, it is steadfastly resisting by obedience. Resist the devil. Now, who is the devil? The Greek word diablos, again, comes from two words. Dia, meaning around or through, has many different definitions, but in this case, it means through. And balo, something is diabolical. It is something that is devilish. But what the word actually means is through, 
and it means to, uh, to push something or to throw something or to make something, to repetitiously strike something. So the word devil, diablo, Greek, means to keep striking. He keeps striking until it goes dia or through. And that's the way he works. He assaults with, with mind and power plays on our emotions and attempts us with our willpower, not once, but many times. The devil doesn't just come once. Get out of here. Folks, we have to continually resist the devil when we're two years old and when we're 102 years old. We have to resist the devil all the time because he never stops. His very name means he keeps trying to go through us. He keeps knocking. He keeps trying to penetrate. He keeps, and he, temptation keeps coming after us. The old saying says, opportunity knocks once, but temptation beats on the door every single day. And folks, people say, oh, if I just, man, if I moved up to the mountains, we'd have so much less temptation. Folks, the devil will find you in the mountains. You could move to Antarctica, and the devil will find a way to make sure that you are tempted with sin. He will come against you in your mind, and he never stops. He will whisper things in your mind like, You'll never overcome that. He just keeps picking. That's his name. It means to go through it, to keep hitting through something. He just keeps picking. Keep picking at it. You'll never get victory. God doesn't love you. Or, hey, one touch, one taste, it won't matter. Or things like, if you sell out to God, if you really get involved in church, you're just going to be miserable. Things like, you know what, you shouldn't give so much. I mean, there's so many things that the devil keeps attacking us. Now, the way to win against the devil is just to resist that with truth and to resist that with obedience and to resist that with prayer. Never try to argue with the devil. Never try to outthink him. I will tell you, any debate with the devil, you and I will get eaten alive. During World War II, Germany overran France. But there was a group of men and women who fought against them behind the enemy line. They were setting up undergrounding, underground information links and disrupting all the German efforts. You know what they were called? They were called the French resistance. And that's what we need. We need a Christian resistance that just is constantly doing everything they can to foil the devil. The Bible says we are to be resisting the devil. And yet it seems like so many Christians today are assisting the devil by allowing themselves. What do they do? Well, there's four things that it seems like that if we're going to uh, resist the devil, we must do. First of all, we must give the devil no opportunity. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walketh them out, seeking who he may devour. Think about that word. He's seeking that means he doesn't just eat up everybody. That means he, he looks for somebody who are more open to attack. Looking for the right opportunity. Have you ever seen one of those wildlife documentaries and you'll see some lion out there, boy, it is looking for its prey, some antelope or something. Now, who does the lion go after? It doesn't go after that lion, or that antelope that's right in the middle of the herd. That's, you know, got all these big giant antelopes around. No, he, 
He goes for ones that are kind of on the outside. He goes for the one who's small. And if that small one is out by himself, you, I mean, he's going to be lunch for that lion. What do lions eat? They eat flesh. One whiff of flesh. And they are just looking for an opportunity to fight. That's why we must give him no opportunity. You say, well, pastor, I mean, we live in this fleshly world. What can we do? I mean, I, I got to, you know, we, we read things, we watch things, and we eat things. I mean, I mean, how can I not be a fleshly person living in a fleshly world? Paul answered that, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 10. He said, now, I, I want you to be careful about eating with people who are living wicked lives. But he said, not altogether with fornicators of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. Paul said, look, I know you live in the world. Just don't have the world live in you. We, a few weeks ago, talked about sanctification, folks. We sanctify our food by the word of God and prayer. God said, just sanctify everything you have. If you have a cell phone, sanctify it. If you have a TV, sanctify it. We have to live in the flesh, but we don't have to have the flesh live in us. If we sanctify it by the word of God and prayer, we monitor it, we, it can be used as a good instrument. God said, just don't give the devil any opportunity by an unsanctified flesh. Number two, give the devil no advantage. 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. The actual word there means to gain a share. Like in a hostile takeover of a company, maybe they go public and they put out shares, and you can buy shares of Twitter. <laughs> uh, you probably don't want Twitter. And, uh, or Facebook. No, you don't want Facebook either. But uh, So you buy, a, and you buy a share. Now, if you buy enough shares, you might be able to get enough shares to vote out the owner. It's called a hostile takeover. Now, Satan can get advantage of us by buying shares. He, he buys up shares, actually, is the word, or he takes share. And that's what he does. Now, how does he do that? Two ways, from our ignorance. We are not ignorant of his devices. Ignorance actually is just spiritual, a lack of spiritual discernment. It's not talking about a lack of education. It's just a lack of spiritual discernment. What was I thinking? <laughs> okay, if you think you're going to fight against alcoholism by going to a bar and, you know, I just want to prove that I can do it. That is, that is lack of spiritual discernment. We got to do everything in our power to make sure that we protect ourselves. It's not a cure-all by any means, but God said, just don't give him any advantage. And second of all, his devices. Boy, I tell you what, he is, the devil is so good with his devices. And every one of his devices is different for all of us. Every animal is trapped in different ways. Some will go into a trap, others eat things, but whatever the case is, all of us have a certain thing. Be careful. Use spiritual discernment. Jesus quoted the Bible. That's how he got rid of the devil. Give the devil no opportunity, give the devil no advantage, and give the devil no permission. Number three, in Mark chapter 5, verses 16 through 13, we won't read that passage, but you may remember the story. There was this maniac that the King James Bible calls him. And uh, I'm thinking of a joke right now, but anyway, um, he was a maniac. And uh, he came down and um, 
the demons that were inside of this man, there was, I mean, there were so many, his, their name were legion, thousands of demons in one man. I've met a few of those. And, but they said, they, they asked for permission from Jesus. They had to get permission. Now, folks, um, all the demonic forces in the world cannot do anything without the permission of Jesus Christ. Whenever we give the devil permission to invade our life, when we, when we disobey God's authority in our life, just as they had to obey Jesus, we have to obey Jesus. And God has set people in our lives. The book of Romans is very clear about that. They are given by God to, as our authority. We have community leaders. We have business leaders. We have spiritual leaders. We have leaders in the home. And in all of these cases, whenever we rebel against our God-given authority, we give Satan a place in our life. We give him the ability to control our minds. And that's what the prophet told Saul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23. He said, you know, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He said, well, Paul, Saul said, well, man, I, I obeyed. And the prophet said, you didn't fully obey. 95% God's way and 5% my way is, and he assumed that was 100% obedience. But Saul didn't realize that partial obedience equals complete disobedience. Don't give him permission. Stay under the umbrella of protection of your leader. Don't give him opportunity. Don't give him advantage. Don't give him permission. And number four, don't give him any place. Ephesians 4.26, be angry, sin not. Don't let the sun go dead upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. The word place there means a space, as we might imagine. It means to, like in Monopoly, you know, you're playing the game and you roll that dice and you land on someone's property. That's their space and you've got to pay. If we give the devil space in our life, we are going to have to pay. But notice how it happens. The Bible said it happens through bitterness, anger. When we get bitter in church and at church and at God's people, we end up allowing the devil to set into a spot in our lives and in our families. And the sad fact is the devil, who is a wolf, when he comes to attack, he doesn't just attack us. He attacks the little ones, the little lambs. I will remind you, bitterness at God's people, bitterness at your pastor, bitterness in whatever the case, a bitter heart gives place to the devil. Psychologists tell us that anger is a negative emotion. You got to manage it. I assure you that anger is much more than an emotion. It is a means whereby the devil comes in and gets a foothold in our life. He gets space. We actually give him that space. Forgiveness is more than a good character trait. It is our protection against the devil. We've got to give him no place. If you have a bitter spirit this morning, if you have been allowing the flesh to kind of creep up, we're just giving him advantage, we're giving him place. But hallelujah, I want you to look at the last part of this verse and we'll close. Resist the devil and he will flee 
The Greek word for flee there is that used to depict a lawbreaker who is fleeing in terror from those who are about to arrest him. The Bible says he will flee from us. He will run from us. Today, this morning, we must submit to God. Lord, I submit to your lordship. I put myself voluntarily under you. I've been trying to... I've been thinking I could... I'm smarter than the Bible. I'm smarter than you. I've been trying to do things my own. Well, I just don't know if I agree with the Bible, folks. Just obey the Bible. Figure, figure out things later. Just obey the Bible today. And then submit to God. Submit to everything that he says. And then just resist the devil. To stand against him hard. To not to realize that by standing against him, by obedience, I'm resisting the devil. It's not something I say especially. It's not something I hold in my hands. It is simply an obedient life. It is resisting the devil. It is recognizing that he's going to run. So many people feel like the devil's punching bag. I just feel like I have no victory. That's not true. The Bible says resist him and he'll flee. It doesn't say he'll just kind of walk away. It says he runs. He runs like a lawbreaker when he sees the police. Man, he runs. God says, when I obey Scripture, they just, the devil runs. There's an old story I'll share with you as I close. An eagle, on an early morning during a spring thaw, soared high above the forest, looking for just something to eat. As he followed the course of the river, he looked down and spied a small rodent trapped on a piece of ice that had broken free and was floating down that stream. Seeing this little mouse, he realized what an easy meal it was. He swooped down, landed on the ice, killed the mouse, and began to eat. As he continued his meal, he saw that his perch was rapidly approaching the waterfall, but determined no problem. He's a big eagle, and he can fly away at any moment. He would finish eating and rise into the air at the safety at the last moment. As the ice little chunk that was floating down the stream neared the falls, the eagle finished his last bite. Satisfied with his breakfast, he began to spread those mighty wings and attempted to rise skyward. Just as the chunk of ice that he was sitting on tipped over the edge. While enjoying his meal, however, he had failed to realize that the warmth of his feet has caused his claws to become embedded in the ice. Try as he might, he could not dislodge them and free himself from what had been his meal, but now was his burden, carrying him to his death in the rocks below. Folks, that piece of cheese, that, that big old juicy mouse, be careful. God said, just submit to God. Use spiritual discernment. Resist the devil, and he'll run like a lawbreaker. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.